0: One of the hardest parts about the Enneagram is that it shows us the parts of ourselves we don't like, mm-hmm. that we've tried to keep hidden, mm-hmm. but we grow when we acknowledge the parts of ourselves that we don't like. Yeah. And yeah. so it's, yeah. it's definitely hard. Every number, usually when you're like, you don't know your number, you hear the one that's like, oh gosh, no, that can't be me. That's probably <laughs> and <then> that's it. <laughs> that's probably it.
1: Hello and welcome back for another episode of Interstates and Heartbreak, a podcast that's all about the shared experience of dating and relationships. So I'm really excited for today's guest. I have Jen Whitmer, and Jen is a conflict resolution specialist. She's a motivational speaker and coach, and she specializes in Enneagram coaching. I found her online, and I was just instantly intrigued. I love these type of like introspective personality analyses, like Myers Briggs. And while I've taken this before, I feel like I have the most limited understanding of this and really wanted to get Jen's insight and have her come on the podcast. Oh,
0: thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I love using this tool to support
1: people in relationships. I'm really excited. Yes, I think we're gonna have such a great discussion. Yeah. So I guess to dive in, for those who don't know, what is the enneagram? Absolutely. So if you're in the audience and you're like, any of
0: what, or mm-hmm. if you've heard this like phrase floating around or whatever. So here is my view of the Enneagram. It is a personality framework that really helps us understand what drives our personalities. What are those core motivations underneath all those different behaviors that we do? And the Enneagram shows us basically nine different ways of being in the world and how There are nine different perspectives, nine different motivations that at the root are driving each one of us into
1: all sorts of behaviors in our lives. Mm -hmm. I love that. And how did you become acquainted with it? How did you kind of get down this path of being an Enneagram coach? Oh, thank you for asking that question.
0: So it's a story of love and loss and... (laughs) (laughs) But I was introduced to the Enneagram in college, actually, and I'm going to date myself a little bit here. But in a leadership program, we were doing Myers-Briggs. I still love Myers-Briggs. And our chaplain was like, I think you should really look into the Enneagram as well. And it was on a mimeographed sheet. So for Ooh. those of you who are not old enough to remember what a mimeograph is, it was like this machine that was before the Xerox. And it was like purple kind of dot matrixy. Like it was just <laughs> old looking. And it had these big words that seemed ugly, like gluttony and slob. Oh. And I was like, why? Why? So I, Right. Why would I want to get into that? So I ignored it. And then about five, six years ago, I had a change in leadership in my role as an educational leader, and it turned into a toxic work environment that led me mm-hmm. into some introspection about why am I in this situation? How am I contributing to this conflict? And mm-hmm. so that's when I was reintroduced to the Enneagram. Somebody was like, I think you should really check it out. I know you do Finders and Myers-Briggs, but I think this will help what's underneath. And they were really mm-hmm. completely right and so that's okay. what started me down the path of besides you know getting my masters in like this concept of communication and culture and i was doing conflict resolution and peacemaking training i started diving into these motivations at the enneagram and really studying and decided that that certification and that training would support all the work that i'm wanting to do so first it was personal losing a job losing a good mm-hmm. culture and then it became my passion of underneath all of what we're dealing with, we've got some core fears that we got to deal with. And Mm -hmm. that's when I started jumping into the Enneagram.
1: I love that. And like you mentioned, a lot of the times these stories do start off with something that's a little bit traumatic in the moment, (laughs) but I love that you kind of made the most of it and you took the time to really be introspective about what was causing the situation and took action. That's really cool. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. So as a coach, what would you say your services entail?
0: Oh, yeah. So I do several things. I have a free Facebook community for women who are leaders, but also women who are interested in how do I lead my own life? How do I develop and cultivate peace and connection and power Mm -hmm. using the Enneagram as this tool? So I've got that. And then I do Mm -hmm. private coaching with people around leadership conflict resolution and just straight Enneagram coaching. Some people are just interested in exploring the Enneagram as a tool in and of itself, but I really love Mm -hmm. it when I can help people grow in their leadership position. So Mm -hmm. oftentimes we get in these new places where you've been a leader for a while and now you're leading twice the amount of people and you're like, wait, whoa, this is different there. You know, Mm -hmm. like how do I cope with that? (laughs) You know, or I just keep having, I want to move to the next level of leadership and I keep getting this feedback of blank And so I love Mm -hmm. helping people through that. And I use the Enneagram as part of that tool and the conflict and the communication skills to help support people in their leadership. Because I believe firmly that your leadership will rise and fall on your ability to handle conflict. And you can't handle conflict if you don't know yourself. So those are some of the things that I do as a coach
1: yeah and i think that conflict resolution is something that is just so important in all aspects of life i will say i've been reflecting a lot and i realize I think I'm kind of conflict averse at times, which is something that I'm working on. (laughs) And interestingly, I feel like that manifests itself in interpersonal relationships so much, whether that be in the workplace, like what you were describing, or in a romantic relationship. So I'm really excited to dive in a little bit more of how you can understand those results and then how we can apply that to have healthier relationships in your personal life.
0: Yeah, I agree. Cause most of us don't work with robots like, and we don't live with robots. And so we're dealing with messy people. I'm a pretty messy person. And everyone I live with is too. I mean, we all have things because we're human. And so learning how to cope with our humanity, and how that comes out in interpersonal relationships in the office, in your home life is vital to really succeeding in feeling that sense of peace and wholeness in our lives.
1: Mm -hmm. And I feel like that helps to prevent people from feeling like a victim, because I feel like if you Mm -hmm. understand where other people are coming from, and where you're coming from, you can have more control over the situation, whatever it might be.
0: Absolutely. Because when we know ourselves, then we can start to say, Oh, here's how I'm seeing the world. Oh, they're seeing it differently. If I don't know Mm -hmm. that I'm even seeing the world as my own self, I cannot then recognize someone else's difference. Before Mm -hmm. I can, you know, I am always just assuming everybody's like me. And then a suicide attacks and everybody falls apart. <laughs> so, who yes. It's making sure that we are aware of ourselves and then compassionate for ourselves and others is a huge part of the work that I do.
1: Yes. And I love that. Assume aside. It's like the updated version of that old saying, like, you know what happens when you assume you you and me? (laughs)
0: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yes. So I kind of wanted to dive in a little more about how the quiz and the results are structured. And so I've retaken the quiz, which we'll get into, but I know that it has your initial type, and like you mentioned, there are nine types, but then you also have wings, and you have variants of each type. So I'd just love to get your explanation of what all of that means for anyone who's interested in taking the quiz themselves.
0: Absolutely, Jose, before I preface this, make sure you recognize that we're not getting PhDs in the Enneagram during this podcast. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this is high level, high yeah. level. <laughs> so like you said, there are nine different types, and the quiz, Are really starting points. I -hmm. like to say that they are a data point and they are never the final say. So Mm -hmm. a quiz can't type you, I can't type you as an Enneagram coach. That's Mm -hmm. your job. So Mm -hmm. you've got some work to do here and that's your job. So the Enneagram quiz is sort of a starting place. There are a few that I really like. There are some out there Mm -hmm. that are barely better than a BuzzFeed quiz, (laughs) and they're just kind of fun, (laughs) but if you use them as kind of a starting point to introspection, they can be really, really helpful because Mm -hmm. I would say tests are between probably like 40 and 60% accurate. I know that's Mm -hmm. a wide swing, but Mm -hmm. because the Enneagram deals with underneath motivations, it's hard to answer that type of question in a quiz. So I like to use the example of a clean desk. Mm -hmm. lots of people like a clean desk. Some people don't, but lots of people (laughs) do. But we can all have a clean desk for a different reason. Some people Mm -hmm. want a clean desk because, oh, that's the right thing to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. Some people like a clean desk because that means it's efficient. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Some people like a clean desk because then they can think through all of the problems. Mm -hmm. You know, like it just depends. And so that's when you're talking about motivations, it's hard to get that across in an assessment Mm -hmm. that isn't a dialogue. And so that's why I think that the assessment is a great starting point, but really having someone walk through with you is really the best. Now, some people get the quiz, they read the descriptions and they're like, Oh my gosh, how did you know that about me? I was trying to keep that secret from everyone. (laughs) So sometimes you read it and you're like, Oh yeah, that's me. But I'm just Mm -hmm. always cautious to make sure people know that the tests that are out there are really starting points and that the results Really, sometimes they're given as percentages, and it can be confusing Mm -hmm. because it's like, oh, I'm 80% an eight and 65% a three. Not only do those not add up to 100, but <laughs> <laughs> they, it kind of starts to give the impression that you have two types or mm-hmm. that you're part one and part another, when really those percentages are predictions. It's mm-hmm. like 80% likely you're an eight and it's 65% likely you're a three. And so mm-hmm. when you're interpreting those results, kind of keep that in mind at, at the starting point, And it's this is their best guess. And sometimes quizzes will give you what are called your wings. So Mm -hmm. when we talk about the nine types, they go in a circle. So if you imagine Mm -hmm. a clock, so if you're listening to this and you're walking outside, you can even put your hands in a circle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If if you're driving, (laughs) please keep your hands on the wheel. But you can (laughs) use the wheel. If you think about nine at the 12 o'clock place on a clock Mm -hmm. and then around the circle from there, every number is next to each other. And so the numbers that are on either side of the core number are the wings. So sometimes Mm -hmm. you get test results that say you're a 9W1 and you're like, am I a type of oil? What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) So that means that your main type is that first number. That's Mm -hmm. your core motivation. Mm -hmm. And then the wings are the numbers on either side of us. And some people have really big wings. Some people have no wings. Some people have both wings really equally. Many Enneagram teachers teach that we have one really strong wing in the first half of our life and the second half of our life, the other wing develops. And what that means is you've got some extra behaviors to lean into. Mm -hmm. You've got some extra things that Mm -hmm. will be just not quite just like your first go-to instinct, but pretty close. Wings also have a lot to do with how you were raised. Mm -hmm. So your family of origin, your personal culture, your culture of origin where you live Mm -hmm. and the family that you're a part of. So like my dad grew up in an Italian immigrant family. Mm -hmm. I have some ties to that, which means that being loud and interrupting people is a cultural norm. Mm -hmm. It's totally fine. So if I were somebody with a quiet Enneagram type next to a wing that's kind of loud, that'd probably be pretty natural for me. Because of that cultural behavior. So wings are influenced in all kinds of different ways, but it doesn't change that core motivation of the main number. Okay. So I think wings are helpful when you're trying to decide. They give you kind of clues. If we get too much tied into them, they can be a little bit distracting. I think Mm -hmm. there are a couple numbers that almost feel like multi-personality disorder. Like what is happening to me? Because they feel so different and they come from such different energies and places But other than that, most of the wings, you're like, oh, I can see how that's kind of like me.
1: Yeah, that's so fascinating. Okay, that was an amazing description because I was trying to interpret what my wing could mean and how I should interpret how different that was from my main type. So that's very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. So I feel like, you know, at this point, we're teasing the audience, and everyone probably wants to know what are the nine types. So (laughs) could you provide a breakdown? (laughs) Absolutely. Everybody's like, but wait, you haven't told me what they are.
0: (laughs) So I'm going to talk about each of the nine types from what I call the core motivations. Mm -hmm. So the core motivations include your core personality strategy, which Mm -hmm. is the strategy you use to protect yourself and get your needs met. And mm-hmm. when I start saying some of those strategies, people will go, oh, yeah, I do that. <laughs> like, oh, all right, that's it. <laughs> but first you're like, what is a personality strategy? So it's just mm-hmm. a way that you lean too quickly in your personality to get your needs met. Each of them also has a core fear that's paired with a core desire. So okay. that core fear is the thing they're running away from. And the core desire is what they're always wanting. Like, I'm always going for this thing. Mm -hmm. And then each Enneagram type has a core weakness. And that core Mm -hmm. weakness, this is where the big, ugly, old words come in. But really Mm -hmm. what they are, are that core struggle that's like, I have been here before. And it's Mm -hmm. that thing that you just kind of keep running into over and over and over again. And recognizing it faster is what really helps you. But knowing Mm -hmm. that that's the core weakness you keep running into is really helpful. Mm -hmm. And then just a message, a core longing that every type wants to hear. So that's what we're going to go through in each of the nine types, amazing. I, not to throw everybody, but I like to start with type eight. Oh, okay. <laughs> no curveball. Everybody, everybody, everybody was like, "But wait, I like numerical order." I promise <laughs> I it <know>. makes sense. <laughs> I promise. And it has to do with the fact that the Enneagram comes in groups of three. So eight, mm-hmm. nine, and one are grouped together. And then two, three, and four are grouped together. And five, okay. six, and seven are grouped together. So that's why I'm starting with the eights. So that helps okay. you. Yes. But especially yes. people <laughs> who are
1: like, but I had
0: one first on my list.
1: So yeah. like, <laughs> they're like, I want to check it off. <laughs> I want to check
0: it off. You know, so it's okay. So we're starting with the eights. and Perfect. I also the aids get kind of left behind sometimes so aids are the challengers these protective challengers of the enneagram and their personality strategy is protection and their fear this deep core fear that they have is vulnerability Mm. and weakness and they fear being manipulated or powerless and so what Mm. their desire is always to protect themselves and those closest to them. So like if you are in the circle with the eight, they're protecting you. They're like the champions of the underdog. They're always wanting to support people. A lot of people who are around the idea of diversity and equity and inclusion and social justice, there's a lot of eights in that space because Mm -hmm. they are really wanting to protect people. And I often like to say that it's not that they need to be in control, they Mm -hmm. don't want to be controlled. Hmm, And that's a good distinction for people about eights. And their core weakness is often called lust. I like to say Hmm. it's more like intensity or excess because it's not really anything to do with another person. It's Hmm. about looking for this intensity. They kind of throw themselves into (laughs) life and they're just the most intense number on the Enneagram. Oh, they're almost forcing themselves into life in order not to be controlled. So it's a little bit like living your life as a snowplow, which Mm -hmm. I live in the Midwest. And believe me, (laughs) I want my snowplow and need it to get out of my driveway. Sometimes it's not always helpful in every circumstance. And so that's where eights can kind of like, ah, what is going on? Because they're always looking for that intensity. And Mm -hmm. I've never met an eight in the world who hasn't been called bossy. So that's a pretty common experience for eights because they, like I said, they're going to take control if no one else is, because Mm -hmm. they don't want to be left out for the open of, I don't want to be controlled. And all of that control and all of that protection is about not wanting to be betrayed. So they want to make sure that their own heart is protected and to know that they will not be betrayed. And so I like to say that eights are like the big grizzly bear, but they're Mm -hmm. really a teddy bear. Like they really underneath, they are such a soft center and that's where all of their protection comes from. So they have kind of this scary mama bear exterior, but deep down it's because they are caring and deeply loving to other people.
1: I love that. And I I think that helps to empathize with people in your life who might be that way to just kind of understand, okay, this is where they're coming from. It's coming from a good place. They're not just trying to domineer.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's they don't need to be in control. They're like, actually, no, I don't. I just don't (laughs) trust you to be in control. (laughs) (laughs) So next to the eights, if you're coming back to the top, so remember your steering wheel in that 12 o'clock space is the nine and they're at the top Mm. of the Enneagram and they're often called the harmonious peacemaker Mm. and their personality strategy is withdrawal and withdrawal Mm. is how they cope with this core fear of conflict Mm. they really really deeply hate conflict and so they Mm. don't want to (laughs) lose connection they fear tension Mm -hmm. they don't want to be overlooked Mm -hmm. And so that can send them into this withdrawal because they're always trying to maintain harmony because they want internal harmony and external harmony. That's their core Mm -hmm. desire. And they want stability and peace. So Mm -hmm. it's exhausting if you're always trying to maintain harmony. Oh, but you said this thing. Oh, that's a good idea over here. (laughs) <laughs> and well, if that's what you want, you know, that, that's exhausting. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so that's where the core weakness of the peacemaker of the nine is sloth. And oh. so I, it's not, <laughs> I know it's these big, <laughs> ugly words. And yeah, it
1: sounds so horrible when you I say know, it like that, <laughs> doesn't it?
0: And it's not laziness. That's the thing. Mm. It comes from this idea of maintaining all this harmony is exhausting. Mm -hmm. And so just as eights were the most intense number on the Enneagram, nines have the least amount of energy on the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And so because of this internal need to keep things stable, they want to keep the peace. They want to be easygoing. They merge with other people's ideas and feelings. Like the big joke is don't ask a nine where they want to go to dinner. (laughs) this way too much decision fatigue is hard for everyone but that is devastating to the nine (laughs) and so they cope with all of that by retreating and that sloth kind of pulls them into falling asleep each of their own needs to the anger Mm. that they experience and really it ends up that they can fall asleep to their own abilities and worth And what nines really want to know that core longing is that they won't be overlooked and their presence matters. Your presence matters. And so that's the thing for the nine to draw them back out is Mm -hmm. we need you to engage in life. We want you in our world and they have to risk a little bit of tension because nobody ever agrees on everything. And that's where that kind of comes from. So that's that peacemaker
1: nine. So, Not to divert too much, but you mentioned that, you know, in order to re-energize the nines, you need to give them that validation that they're needed. So what can nines do to get that validation internally if they are not in a group where they're getting that?
0: That is a great question. And I think nines, nines work really well with affirmation. Mm -hmm. of themselves like reminding Mm -hmm. themselves that this is what I'm going to do and then nines really thrive in some routine because Mm -hmm. I know that sounds really practical but the reason is because it reduces their decision fatigue Mm -hmm. when this is what I do every morning I always wear this outfit or this type of outfit or I always Mm -hmm. cook this for breakfast or we do this every day at this time Mm -hmm. Those types of routines are really freeing to the nine Mm -hmm. because it's one Mm -hmm. less thing to prioritize. So then they can start to let their internal voice start to bubble up because they're not Mm -hmm. overwhelmed with all of these other decisions. So that's something nines can really do to start to get that, like reminding themselves, my presence matters because then the next thing is, but what do I think? (laughs) <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, what yeah. I gonna do I want to do? That's really hard. So the setting of routines is really life-giving to nines because just reducing decisions is a super yeah. important life strategy for them.
1: Interesting. That reminds me of like how you hear about the CEOs that just wear a variation of the same thing every day because I don't have the mental space to think about this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
0: Yes. When I was learning the Enneagram, I was also introduced to somebody. Her name's Sarah Bessie. She's a Canadian writer, and Mm -hmm. she was the first person who was like a mom who ever just admitted, "Here's my uniform. It is a form (laughs) of black or gray tunic every day." She's in Canada Mm -hmm. with a cozy sweater Mm -hmm. and black leggings. So if you yes. want color, I might decide on a color of of, of cozy sweater. But that's this
1: is what I'm wearing. <laughs> that's Every all day. the variation.
0: <laughs> and she's amazing. So, you know, mm-hmm. um, she's written several yeah. books. She's definitely gotten out of her uh, sloth. So, you know, like that healthy place <laughs> for nines.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. So the type one is the next one in our going around the circle type ones are the reforming perfectionist and their Mm -hmm. personality strategy is perfectionism is to constantly make things better. And that's because their core fear is to be inappropriate or corrupted or, or bad or wrong. And it's not wrong as in they set the standard, there is almost an external standard that they're going for this book said that this was wrong. Or what if I Mm -hmm. do this wrong? It's not like in a fight where somebody wins or loses. Respect is really important to the one both giving and showing and demonstrating respect and receiving respect. They don't want to be rude. That's a really big deal Mm -hmm. to the one. And so Mm -hmm. because their core desire is to be Accurate and good and balanced and virtuous, mm-hmm. and they very much desire rightness. And uh, their core weakness is resentment. And mm-hmm. that resentment is this repressed anger that comes from this dissatisfaction because we all know that not everything is perfect. Mm-hmm. So if you're always looking to perfect something, you're never going to achieve that goal. It's never going to be perfect. And so this dissatisfaction and frustration builds and builds and builds because they're always wanting to perfect themselves. Some of them are looking to protect others. Some of them are looking out to protect the world and perfect the world in and of itself, this idealism. And that Mm -hmm. just can turn into resentment. And so recognizing that is an important part of growth for the one. And they really just want to hear that they're good. So that is the one. So the eights, nines, and ones that that gut center are always dealing with anger in some way and that the ones have that resentment piece, but they want to know that they're good and in that accurate right place. And they have this internal voice called the internal critic. That's constantly just telling them over and over how they're not right. And Mm. that's the constant fight. So they get resentful of this voice that's inside of them. And that
1: becomes really, you know, exhausting. So they're always looking to perfect things. <laughs> That's the cycle of the one. <laughs> that does sound very exhausting. Would you say ones would also benefit from affirmations similar to how? Yeah. Ones might? W-
0: yes. Words are really, really big for ones and how they use words and what they say, because the voice inside their head is mean and they can learn to turn it down. Mm-hmm. I always suggest that ones give their voice a name something ridiculous that you don't even know somebody like this is Bertha and, she's <laughs> name. and yeah. you know Bertha we're not inviting you to this party okay <laughs> simmer down you sit in the corner I'm gonna think my thoughts you know like mm-hmm. just really naming it as a separate thing that helps yeah. them turn the volume down on that but yeah mm-hmm. the affirmations really help the one
1: Nice. Yeah, I actually did an episode and it was called Personally Victimized by Regina George. It was all about that inner mean girl that can be in your head. And it's funny because the author of the book who I interviewed for this, she had a name for her character and it was Darlene. And it was similar. Like, yeah, we don't want to name it something that is the most common name. So just give it a name, personify her. And that way you can just address it and move past it.
0: Yeah. And pray no great friend or daughter-in-law ever comes in your life with that name.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we'll be tainted already. (laughs) I know, yeah, yeah. So
0: as we move around the circle with the next one to the next to the ones, we enter into the heart center and Mm -hmm. this heart center is struggling with shame. So Mm -hmm. like the gut center is struggling with anger, the heart center is coming back to shame and that's what they share as a group. But the Mm -hmm. first one is the considerate giver, sometimes Mm -hmm. called the helper because their Mm -hmm. strategy is helping. Type twos are helping all the time. Mm-hmm. Everyone else. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so their, their core fear is rejection and mm-hmm. being unworthy of love or not being needed. Mm-hmm. And their core desire is to be needed, to be wanted, mm-hmm. to be loved. And of course, we all want these things. You'll recognize yourself in all of them. Mm-hmm. But this is motivating all of their Behavior. Mm -hmm. They really struggle with lack of gratitude. They want that gratitude and to be needed. So they're inserting Mm -hmm. themselves, helping people all the time. Mm -hmm. And their core weakness is pride, which sounds really crazy. Again, these big, deep words. Um, (laughs) And it's because they almost deny their own emotions Mm -hmm. so they can focus on the needs and emotions of other people. So they put their own needs. Down their own emotions down so they can give support to other people so they will then be appreciated and needed by others. So I'd like to joke about the movie 27 dresses when she tries on (laughs) all the dresses for the reporter. And he's like, Do you not have needs? She's like, No, I'm Jesus. <laughs> and, like that's the two,
1: Classic two. <laughs>
0: that is the cl- like I don't have any needs. I'm just oh. going to support everyone else. And they're wonderful. I mean, twos are amazingly considerate and mm-hmm. wonderful helpers. And one of the questions I always encourage twos to ask is what is mine to do?
1: Because mm-hmm. they
0: can jump in to support people so quickly they steal the struggle from others for growth. Or they're inserting themselves in places that they are exhausting themselves. Boundaries are a big growing curve for the two.
1: Okay. Okay. Interesting.
0: So the next to them are threes. And the threes Mm -hmm. are the successful competitor. And their Mm -hmm. strategy is achieving. They're kind Mm -hmm. of the motivational posters of the Enneagram. (laughs) And uh, their core fear is to be um, lacking in success. Okay. to be inefficient, to be worthless based on status. And that mm-hmm. status isn't necessarily, hi, I'm the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company. It's whatever mm-hmm. they think status is, okay. whatever their culture elevates as status. Mm-hmm. And they want that success. And their core desire is that success to be valued, to be admired for their achievements. They are tying mm-hmm. their worth to their output and mm-hmm. to what others think about that output. Mm-hmm. And okay. so it's this really hard push pull of I want to succeed, but I also need others to acknowledge that I've succeeded. And that's how mm-hmm. I know that I've mm-hmm. succeeded. Yeah. And their core weakness, again, these big words are <laughs> deceit. And it, oh. deceit does not mean that threes walk around lying. That is not what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Clarifying <laughs> that right away. What that means is that they can sort of buy into their own hype. Like they deceive themselves about their own image and they want Mm. and become what they think other people want to believe. A lot of threes can be like this one person in one space and a completely different person in another space. And they code switch, like (laughs) done, not even a thought to it. (laughs) Like this is what this space needs. And this is what this space needs. I am that person. And so that's Mm -hmm. where they can lose themselves. And that's Mm -hmm. where the deceit comes from. They're kind of Mm -hmm. driven to embellish their persona. So others will admire them, okay. and so they can find okay. themselves in that cycle of oh wait, what's truly me, and yeah. what's the persona I've created of me? Yeah, and that's the hard question for threes because they want to just be loved for being who they are, mm-hmm. for just being,
1: not yeah. for what they've accomplished. Wow. Okay. That that's really deep and definitely want to circle back to that, but I want to let you get through the rest of them before we dive too far into that.
0: Sure. <laughs> I know, I always tell people that one of the hardest parts about the Enneagram is that it shows us the parts of ourselves we don't like mm-hmm. that we've tried to keep hidden.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But we grow when we acknowledge the parts of ourselves that we don't like. Yeah. And yeah. so it's yeah. it's definitely hard. Every number, usually when you're like, you don't know your number, you hear the one that's like, oh gosh, no, that can't be me. (laughs) And then that's it. (laughs) That's probably it. You know, that's, that's what's challenging. So the four in the heart center is the romantic individualist and they are Mm -hmm. all about creating. Mm -hmm. Like they're creating art, they're creating emotions, they're creating spaces, they're Physical and that metaphorical idea when we talk about holding space for people. Mm -hmm. Fours are amazing at creating these things, tangible and intangible environments. Mm -hmm. And it's because their core fear is being inadequate or being Mm -hmm. typical or mundane or insignificant. They really fear this emotional isolation or being flawed in some way. So they're creating spaces to include people in the emotions of everything, Hmm. because they don't want to be emotionally isolated or be just like everybody else. yeah,
1: that would be God forbid, forbid, (laughs) you know,
0: like that is deep. I mean, like we joke about that, but I mean, it is deep for the four and it's because their core desire is to be authentic, to be significant, to be unique, to really be special. Mm -hmm. in that way. That's their core desire and their core weakness comes out as envy. Mm -hmm. And it's not just like jealousy, like, Oh, you got the new red Porsche and I didn't. it's believing that there is something in everybody else that they're missing. Mm -hmm. Like at the core, a four has a tragic flaw and that must be why they have the things that I want and I don't have. And that's where the envy kind of comes in. And what the four is so good at is that emotional component that they can get really wrapped up in it though. Like your greatest, you know, weakness can also be your greatest strength idea. Yes. And so that emotional component is so important, but they want it to be unique and authentic to just them. So they always yeah. want to know that they are loved just as they are in this special,
1: unique, authentic place. Yeah. Wow. I love that. And I feel like, you know, we always make fun of people who are like maybe kind of hipster and like have to distinguish themselves and their interests. And I'm like, yeah. maybe they're all fours. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: definitely on the rise. It's funny. I was listening to another a podcast with Don Riso, who is a famous Enneagram teacher. And he was like, everybody's coming up fours now. I don't think that's it. Because then they're like, and I'm all better. That's probably not you then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You can be cool and not be a four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But yeah, there is a lot of. I think our country is craving some of that authenticity right now. So it's a little mm-hmm. bit easier to be a four in the world than it used to be.
1: That's very um, true.
0: So I think that's better it's you know sometimes a pendulum swing in cultures because in general i say we're a three nation in Mm -hmm. lots and lots of ways which makes it a little hard to be a three in this world because it adds extra pressure to your own pressured threeness um but the four is really holding space for people and opening up those the emotions i think that as a culture is a good move as we Mm kind of even out a little bit
1: yeah yeah So
0: the last center, this head center, their core struggle is with fear. So there's Mm -hmm. anger, shame, and now we've come to fear. Mm -hmm. And the first group in the head center are the investigative specialists, the five, sometimes called the observer. Mm -hmm. And their strategy is thinking. Mm -hmm. So they are thinking, 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 deep, deep, deep thinking. Mm -hmm. And their core fear is that they won't know something. Like ignorance or lacking in capability is deep fear for the five. Mm -hmm. And they also fear the obligations that other people will put on them. Hmm. Because so we talked about how nines have the least amount of energy. Fives have a measured amount of energy. So they wake up in the morning instead of 100% battery, they're always waking up at 65%. Mm -hmm. And so they just have to manage that for the rest of the day. So if you're thinking about the idea that you have to know all the things in order to serve other people's needs. And then if people need something from you, that you might not know, it starts to like make you understand why fives are often introverted or mm. in books or down in the data, because that's something they can think through and somebody mm-hmm. else isn't needing something from them. Mm-hmm. So that's that core fear of the five is that invasion from others and their core desire is really that I need to be capable and competent and their core weakness is avarice and avarice is sometimes translated as greed but it's Mm -hmm. not about money just like AIDS is not about lust avarice is about your resources and feeling like I don't have enough to give. If I give, then I'm going to be depleted. So back to that idea of obligations will deplete their energy. Mm -hmm. And they have this idea that too much interaction is going to just completely deplete them. And so they have to put themselves from the world. And what their core longing is, is to know that their needs are not a problem. Mm -hmm. The five goes around thinking and thinking and thinking. They have a lot of feelings but they really struggle with like, oh yeah, I have to eat today. (laughs) I I have to move. I mean, not every five, but that's a common disconnect from their body.
1: Mm -hmm. Knowing
0: that literally your physical needs are not a problem for the world. Your emotional needs are not a problem for the world. They're so focused on having the answer logically. They can forget Mm -hmm. that they do have physical and emotional needs as well. And that Mm -hmm. that's okay yeah so that's that core group for the five
1: interesting okay
0: and then the six is the loyal skeptic Mm -hmm. and sixes are all about preparing that Mm -hmm. is their personality strategy they are preparing Mm -hmm. for all the things Mm -hmm. and their core fear is lack of support lack of guidance lack of security Mm -hmm. experiencing blame or being abandoned physically or relationally, they're very much about community. So they're really desiring that security, guidance, support, community, loyalty, they want that. And that can come out in a couple different ways for the six. Sometimes they're like, well, this is what the authority said and I'm gonna do what the authority said because that's what's gonna keep me safe. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And some of them lean way to the other end of that pendulum and are like, are you really gonna be an authority? I'm gonna question everything you're gonna say just to make sure you're safe. Okay, I'm going to keep pushing on you. But really, what I'm looking for is support and guidance and security. And I, I want to mm-hmm. know that you're going to be okay with all of my questions. Because yeah. nobody in the world asks questions like a six, <laughs> like, they, they ask great questions and all the questions. Mm-hmm. And they are really looking for that security in all that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And their core weakness is angst. Mm, This like predicting and preventing all the bad things that could happen keeps them kind of anxious Mm -hmm. much of the time. And it's not like generalized anxiety disorder. It's this personal internal struggle that I have to prepare for the bad things that could happen Mm -hmm. to make sure that I don't get blamed for bad things, that I'm safe, that I'm secure. And so they have what's called the internal committee. Rather than this one internal critic, like we were talking about Bertha, uh, (laughs) this is like if you've ever been in a place where you've had to make decisions by committee.
1: Mm -hmm. You
0: know how exhausting that is. And so they've got all of these voices in their head like, oh, but this could happen, but this could happen too. And so you have to Mm -hmm. prepare for that, prepare for that. And they're the person that shows up at the business meeting with, you know, every colored pen, a Sharpie, a Sharpie (laughs) pen, the paper and the steno pad and some post-it notes (laughs) and making sure that everybody had water. You know, like they're just prepared. They're Mm -hmm. always prepared. And it's coming from this idea of wanting to be safe and secure and and have that community loyalty around them.
1: So one thing that that made me think of is, aside from mentioning that they're maybe always prepared, because this isn't always the case for this age group, They kind of remind me of like adolescence in a way, just based on what you're describing in terms of the angst. I think that's what kind of triggered that thought for me. And then the fact that, you know, they're really looking for that security, questioning authority, looking to really figure out who they can trust. Would you say that maybe it's more likely to have a certain personality type at a certain age? Like, is there a chance that maybe sixes are more prone to be adolescents and then you can kind of grow out of it? I love that question because the answer is no.
0: (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I'll explain. Um, So we have most Enneagram teachers believe that we've got one core type that we're Mm -hmm. born with. We've got Mm -hmm. this kind of predilection toward one particular weakness. Mm -hmm. And then we have the way our personality forms is in childhood. We tell ourselves stories to make sense of the world. And Mm -hmm. that's positive and negative. And that's why you can come from a really loving house and everything is great, and you still end up with some kind of core weakness. Or mm-hmm. you can be in a traumatic household and think it's all your fault. Because as mm-hmm. a child, we're trying to figure out how the world works, and we make up a story. <laughs> and so that story stays with us into adulthood. So mm-hmm. every teenager is going through angst, but it's always going to be around their own core fear. Okay. So the teenage core angst is pervasive because I have three of them in my house about (laughs) how do we negotiate this relationship now that I'm growing out. That's where Mm -hmm. the angst comes from. But Mm -hmm. for the six, the angst is really coming from wanting to be safe and secure and not experiencing blame or okay. emotional or physical abandonment. So their angst okay. is a little bit different than that teenage angst. But yeah. it's a question that I love getting. So thank you for asking, because it's really common, because we identify with different parts in different times of our life.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: then when we look down at the bottom, the root of whatever the angst is, or the root of, you know, our early 20s, that's what we're dealing with. It's just now has yeah. new forms as we grow and as we mm-hmm. mature. Yeah. And yeah. oftentimes when I tell people about the Enneagram, looking at yourself in your early 20s is the best time to think about it because mm. your personality is fully formed by them. Like it's not yeah. really going to change all that much, but it also you don't have the benefit of experiences that tell you to hide different pieces or here's in oh. some of that experience is good be like I needed to yeah. know that interrupting people all the time is not helpful like <laughs> I had to grow into that you know and other people need to know that it's okay for them to not achieve everything you know like I don't need to win every single competition that's out there and that comes with growth over time. But if you think about yourself in your early 20s, you haven't had as many experiences that shave off those rough edges, which that's you want. True. But when you're thinking <laughs> about trying to identify your type, that's a great time to think about your life.
1: Yeah, that's so fascinating. You're so right. It's like this weird period where you're like so self-assured and haven't had anything happen to really rein you in yet. It's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I honestly miss those days. <laughs> so young, so naive. <laughs> I know. That's
0: great. So yeah. our very last type in the head center is the seven and the seven is the enthusiastic visionary and mm. their strategy is planning. They're planning for things and what's happening next all the time. What's mm. next? What's next? What's next? And mm. it's because their core fear is deprivation or being mm. limited. I firmly believe a seven coined the term FOMO, like, That that is deep, deep in the seven. And they don't want to be trapped in this emotional pain or bored. Limited is the word that really strikes fear into the heart of a seven. And it's because they're always wanting to be satisfied, to be happy, Mm -hmm. to be content. And Mm -hmm. their core weakness, I like to call ferocity. The traditional Mm -hmm. word is gluttony, but it gets really confused with food. And so Mm -hmm. it's about... This insatiable desire to fill up an emptiness inside with stimulation and experiences and things and people and lights and you know, like it's just
1: bigger, and bigger, and bigger.
0: You know, it's so yeah. it's this this voracious appetite for life. And someday I'll learn how to say that French, jour de vive, but it's oh, that. Yeah. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. you know, this big life living. So they're always planning in their head for what's happening in the future. But it's different than the six because the six is like, okay, what's going to happen? And the seven's like, oh, what's going to happen? <laughs> and so the seven is planning and getting excited and they have a hard time following through with the things. The six is always going to follow through. The okay. seven is going to learn how to do that and will always kind of come back because this insatiable desire to get filled up. Well, mm-hmm. this is boring like finishing this task. I'm being limited because there might be something else out over there that I'm missing Mm, and (laughs) (laughs) that motivates the seven in their behavior. So sevens tend to, they're not always the life of the party. Lots of people describe Mm -hmm. them as this kind of Peter Pan life of the party. And many sevens are, but they're also very deep because they Mm -hmm. are ready to go deep into that contentedness. And that's Mm -hmm. a healthy seven is really pulling down Mm -hmm. into the depth of joy and the Mm -hmm. depth of experiences they really enjoy and are ready to go there and it's because they want to know that they're going to be taken care of this idea to fill Mm -hmm. up with what's next is this fear response from feeling like they had to do it on their own so i'm going to make my own fun Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the genesis of that
1: seven energy Mm -hmm. okay So I love that you mentioned what a healthy seven looks like because I remember the first time that I took the Enneagram quiz, I saw that there was a spectrum of very unhealthy And then healthy. And it starts out like, oh, this is so great. And then you get to the very unhealthy and you're like, this is a nightmare. Like, it's so terrifying to read how you can behave at your worst. And so I guess, do you have any thoughts about how can you kind of determine what your level of health is? And I know there's no cookie cutter answer to that, but... Mm -hmm. How would you guide your clients to determine where they're at on that spectrum?
0: Yeah. So that's definitely something we work at in my group coaching and in my individual coaching, which mm-hmm. clearly on a podcast would be really hard to do. But so I like to give people the big idea about what it looks like to be healthy. And so mm-hmm. the Enneagram Institute labeled these levels of health. So if you think mm-hmm. about healthy level one to the most unhealthy level nine, so mm-hmm. level nine is like pathology. These are like mm. really terrible. This is pathological if you think mm-hmm. most people aren't living there. That's mm-hmm. not where most of us live. And the super high healthy number one, like this is basically nirvana, is liberation. It's the freest mm-hmm. possible thing. And I'm like, that's not happening this side of heaven. Most of us aren't <laughs> we're not living there. And yeah. so most of us are living in what I like to call levels two, three, four, and five, mm-hmm. which is healthy, low healthy high average and average. That's where most of us are living. And so Mm -hmm. the number two level is called psychological capacity. Like you are Mm -hmm. firing on all cylinders. Everything is working. Everything is good and balanced. That's Mm -hmm. psychological capacity. And level three, which is low healthy is a social gift. I just love that. (laughs) When (laughs) you're living healthy, you're a social gift. You're a gift to others. You're a gift to yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's just lovely. And that's a lot of us live in that space. Mm-hmm. And we change like we change even throughout the day or seasons yeah. of our life. But that's mm-hmm. a low level of healthy. And then high average is like this imbalance. You get caught up in those fixations, that fixation of planning, that fixation of protecting, the fixation of achieving, get a little bit out of balance and fixated on that. Mm-hmm. And that's average space. And we all live in, at some point during the day like that. That's pretty yeah. average. Mm-hmm. And then five is interpersonal conflict. When Mm -hmm. you're in average space, you're living a lot of interpersonal conflict because you're fixated on things. You're not seeing other people's perspectives. You're giving into your fears. Mm -hmm. Perspectives are off. So that causes conflict because conflict happens when there are limited resources and differing goals. Mm -hmm. And that's the genesis of conflict. So that's the average. We all end up there sometimes, too. Mm -hmm. And then low average is overcompensation. So if you're mm-hmm. really overcompensating, you're really leaning heavily into parts of your personality, that's mm-hmm. that low average space. Okay. So for each number of those have very specific descriptions, but if you can think mm-hmm. about it like that, oh, am I overcompensating yeah. or am I fixated? Yeah. Am I a social gift? <laughs> you know, like those are <laughs> the those are the hopefully um,
1: <laughs> hopefully the levels of health as a as a broad general scope. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful framework to put everything in. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I had to circle back to three, like I mentioned. And so the reason why is because I got a three when I took the test and the first time I took it, it was like two and a half years ago and I got a three. And so I was like, maybe it changed. And I will say the disclaimer is that it gives you a ranking like you mentioned. So I think it was like, for type three, I had like 10 attributions. And then for type one and type two, I had nine attributions. So I guess mm-hmm. it's kind of evenly split. Mm-hmm. But it was just so interesting to just dive into what the threes, attributes, and weaknesses are. Because on the surface, like you mentioned, I think whatever type you kind of read and you're like, ugh, gross, that's usually <laughs> the type you are. And there were parts of me where I'm like, there, there is positive, but I kind of hated aspects <laughs> of it as well. Yeah. Um. So I guess I would love to hear from your perspective as a three, you know, what would you say are some things that I should be cautious about beyond what you kind of touched on before? Mm-hmm. And also to kind of hear how threes manifest themselves in relationships, both positively and negatively.
0: Oh, those are great questions and <laughs> lots of podcasts about that. So yes. briefly, mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing for threes to do to grow is to work on understanding emotions. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but there are those three centers of intelligences that we talked about, like the head center, the heart center, and the body center Mm -hmm. are also the three different ways that we think. We've got an emotional intelligence, a logical intelligence, and we've got a gut instinct intelligence. Mm -hmm. And threes are amazing at thinking and doing and thinking and doing and thinking and doing. And Mm -hmm. they are achieving thinking and doing. (laughs) Yeah. Now, Sometimes threes at their worst or at their inattentiveness, they will run Mm. over others Mm. in the path to think and do to achieve. Oh, no. (laughs) It's just who threes can be. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's what they need to be aware of. And so Mm. threes are repressing those emotions in order Mm. to get things done, but Mm. they're using emotions to see what everybody in the room is doing and feeling, Mm. but they don't use that to necessarily help themselves or others so like kind of the joke is a three can walk into the room and know how everybody feels but themselves (laughs) like they know how everybody feels a two walks into a room and they know how each person feels individually like how you like is an individual threes are like i got the scope of the room Mm. i have no idea how i feel yeah. And so, bringing up that emotions and understanding how they're feeling and how their emotions are impacting their decisions, impacting their behaviors, getting really good at labeling emotions outside of, like, I love the movie Inside Out and the yes. like the core emotions. Yes, <laughs> I love them. But you know, like, you have to get beyond just disgust. I'm disgusted. Yeah, yeah. you know, like, yeah. or I'm sad. You know, Mm -hmm. like, like it's more more nuanced, there's more nuanced. And so I have a sheet that I use with my clients that has 120 emotion words. And learning to accurately identify your emotions is a big thing for threes. Mm -hmm. Because they often experience emotions the most when they're in some kind of fictional environment, where it feels okay to cry, or it feels okay to laugh or be
1: angry, because it's someone
0: else's. Are you having a moment?
1: Yes. I just so uh, yeah, Jen was just looking at my face in like this wave of realization because I feel like I would say people wouldn't say I'm overly emotional, but then I'm that person who will cry in like every movie. And I'm just thinking that must be why I get emotional in movies and commercials. Maybe I'm just letting it all out in areas where I'm not letting it out in my personal life who knows
0: yeah yeah no that's a really common experience for threes and so threes tend to show up in the world as pretty natural leaders Mm -hmm. but when they hit a place where they lack some skills that's when threes really struggle so if they think that they should just know and they just kind of keep plowing forward Mm -hmm. that's when threes become leaders who just make some bad decisions because they mm-hmm. don't actually have the skills, but they're not willing to admit that they don't have the skills. Mm-hmm. And so because they're denying that emotion that they feel mm-hmm. inadequate, then they just kind of keep pressing forward. So that's some of the mm-hmm. ways three show up that is unhelpful. But when threes really start to pull up their emotion, and like, wait a second, I'm feeling inadequate. Is there a reason? Is it a true reason? Do I need to learn something? Does somebody else have something to offer? They start pausing a little bit because threes, I mean, they have solved all the problems for 50,000 years from now. And right now, (laughs) they're not wasting any time. (laughs) So pausing is a big practice for threes to kind of grow in the world and mm-hmm. recognize that. So when they're healthy, they're like, wait a second, I keep running into this. Maybe I need mm-hmm. to learn how to do this thing. And sometimes that's yeah. super practical. Like I need to learn how to code something. I don't know. I'm making mm-hmm. it up. Sometimes <laughs> it's relational. Oh, I need to learn how to listen better. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some of the ways that threes can grow as they, because threes are going to be leaders. Like they just mm-hmm. are. And that's how they can help themselves in those areas.
1: Okay. Yeah. And then just one other thing I wanted to say about this. I think the thing that really clicked for me is when you said that threes can really adapt to any social situation. Because sometimes Mm -hmm. I feel like that is a strength of mine. And Mm -hmm. I do feel like I can get along with a wide array of people. But there are times when I'm like, is that always the healthiest thing. Like maybe I don't know. I again, I think it kind of also comes to that conflict averse trait that I mentioned earlier. So just a lot to a lot to dive into and a lot to reflect on. But yeah, it's really great to hear all of those positives and negatives to just be mindful of everything.
0: Yeah. And that's how you show up. I mean, every Enneagram type in any relationship is going to have some kind of issue because we're human again. And so Mm -hmm. learning about yourself and like, why are you conflict averse? Mm-hmm. And your reason is going to be different than mine. Cause I joke that I'm yeah. a recovering conflict avoider, but <laughs> mine is because I don't want to be trapped in that. That is yuck.
1: Mm-hmm. Yours is
0: likely because as a three, it's seen as unsuccessful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's and very so true.
0: There's different reasons. And so understanding your own component to that is a really important part of mm-hmm. growing in loving relationships in
1: family relationships and, work as well. Yeah. Yeah. So diving into how the Enneagram personality types apply to romance, Mm. are there certain types that you would say are better suited for one another or would you say it just kind of depends on the individual? It, I love this question
0: again. I love it when people (laughs) ask this because I get to say this. It doesn't matter.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's refreshing.
0: (laughs) And here's what matters is that each person is trying to be healthy. Every combination is going to have some fairly predictable, great things about that pair and some fairly predictable pitfalls that they're going to want to avoid or be aware of that are coming anyway, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. like, this is happening. So be prepared for that. And so every Enneagram combination, and there are like, what, 45 different combinations of all nine types, Mm -hmm. all have some components that are going to be challenging, and mm-hmm. when you bring up that self-awareness and have language to share, oh, here's what I'm actually feeling and thinking, that helps create that communication because sometimes it's really hard to label what you're thinking on the inside. Mm-hmm. And the Enneagram often gives this shared language of, oh, that's what I'm that's what I'm struggling with. Oh, and this mm-hmm. is what I'm struggling with. Here's how those are in conflict. Now we can start to come together to make solutions. So in a mm-hmm. romantic relationship, there's great things about every type as long as each person is trying to be healthy and that makes great relationships when each person is trying to be healthy and try to work toward a healthy relationship together yeah
1: yeah i love that so there's no limitations as long as you're both just working to better yourself yeah yeah that's amazing i visited your website and i saw a really interesting piece about how to show how you care for each enneagram type and It reminded me of love languages, just because, you know, it's very important to understand, like, how are you expressing love? How do you want to express love? Would you say that this is similar to the love languages? Are there certain Enneagram types that are more attuned to certain love languages based on their needs?
0: Oh, that is such an interesting question. I have been playing around a little bit with love languages and Enneagram types. So the five love languages, do you want to share what the five love languages are?
1: Yeah, so we have acts of service, so that's someone doing something to help make your day a little bit easier, words of affirmation, so just kind of getting that validation verbally from your partner, quality time, physical touch, which can be, you know, sexual or just, you know, platonic, like holding hands, putting your arm around somebody. And then the last one, acts of service, words of affirmation. Quality time. Yes, spending time with your partner in a meaningful way where you get to share an experience.
0: Yeah. So I was talking, I mean, this has been a few months ago, Sarah Jane Case, who is another Enneagram teacher, we were chatting about how love languages and Enneagram fit together because our top love language is the thing we want the most. Mm -hmm. So it's the way we show love because that's the thing we want the most. Mm -hmm. And that can differ slightly because the overlay isn't exact in the sense that there's nine types of Enneagram types, and then there's five love languages, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but often I find that sevens really love quality time. Mm -hmm. Like they're going for quality time because they want an experience Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: ones are often words of affirmation because Mm -hmm. they want to know they're doing it right. Mm -hmm. Threes Mm -hmm. are often words of affirmation because Mm -hmm. they want to know they're doing it right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Nines are often acts of service because that's a lot of things to do. You know, they're wanting uh, to do. Twos are often gift givers. They also like words mm. of affirmation because they're really big into gratitude. So it's a okay. close, like it's yeah. a close second. Eights are often physical touch. Like mm. that intensity, like that body center is really important to mm-hmm. eights. And fours, I mean, they're as usual, all unique. But like <laughs> so, so the four, like I have not seen a consistency in the fours. Interesting, But a lot of them, they really do like a unique gift because it mm-hmm. shows that they've been seen. So I would okay. say that's the one that kind of bubbles to the top for a lot of fours. Fives okay. also like that words of affirmation. They want to know that they are competent, mm-hmm. done things right. Often fives struggle with physical touch. They want oh, it, okay, but they don't quite know. Like it's this like, oh, I want that to be my love language, but I don't know how yeah. to, like it's this interesting struggle for fives. Um, sixes often want those acts of service. They're very much mm. about that community. Sometimes sixes are quality time. So I think it, it really depends on each of the different types. But it's an interesting conversation that I've like started to data collect a little bit with my clients yeah. about that, because I think it comes down to the that core longing, what are you wanting to hear? Mm-hmm. So that's how you're wanting to get love and receive love.
1: Yeah, that makes total sense, and it does make sense all of the alignments that you mentioned. It's like okay, that tracks. Like if this is your motivation, then that mm-hmm. seems like the most logical way for it to be expressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I realized I forgot gifts, and like of course I forgot gifts. That's like my lowest love language, and I don't really care about
0: that. So it's fun. so mine too. Like, <laughs> which is hard. Being married, married to a gift giver. I joke about uh-huh. our biggest fights is when I got this really great gift and I didn't cry because I didn't know that was the response I was supposed to
1: have. Yeah, it's like, oh, I didn't know. I don't think I've ever cried from a I can't imagine. Like, I, there are gifts I'm very appreciative of, but yeah, that I don't know if that response will ever be elicited for me. <laughs> Again, maybe a commercial of someone else getting the gift, but not me. <laughs> right, right, right. So one last aspect I wanted to dive into, I know your coaching is really involved in conflict resolution, Mm -hmm. and that is really important for romantic relationships as well. So I guess I would love to hear from your perspective, what should a healthy argument look like in a romantic relationship? And how do you advise people to have healthy conflicts with their partner?
0: What a fun question, mostly because if you have a healthy argument, then the conflict gets over faster, because remember, I'm a Mm -hmm. recovering conflict avoider. Uh, (laughs) So a couple just off the cuff, quick tools that you can like go home today and do one is don't fight about it when you're fighting about it. So like when the thing mm-hmm. happens, it, like solve that problem, but then all the residual feelings that you're having about that, talk about that later. If you can, sometimes mm-hmm. that's not possible, yeah. but like, so I'm going to use dumb examples. Why can the glass not go <laughs> in the dishwasher? Why is the glass not on the dishwasher? Yeah. This is not hard. Okay, just put the glass in the dishwasher and mm-hmm. then, you know, like I'm I'm struggling a little bit because I keep noticing this glass is not in the dishwasher. Either. So, mm-hmm. solve the problem and have the conflict later. Sometimes that's not mm-hmm. always available to you, but you'll be surprised how much it is actually available. So, yeah. the second thing is be close. So literally mm-hmm. sit close together. And okay. there's a few reasons for that is because you're going to be far less tempted to raise your voice. If you're sitting on the couch mm-hmm. next to somebody, it's just okay. harder. It's literally physically harder to do. So you're putting yourself yeah. in a position yeah. to be soft. And that's mm-hmm. what you need in a conflict is you need to be soft to hear what the other person is saying and yeah. soft toward your own self. So be close. And the second thing is, is always be looking for the win-win so conflict resolution is first a posture then it's a set Mm -hmm. of skills so there's all kinds of skills that i teach people in conflict resolution but first of all it's a posture that isn't it's you against me it's not Mm -hmm. me and you on two sides and we're fighting about something it's you and i together arm in arm against the problem out there Mm -hmm. and so if you can posture yourself of okay we're problem solving together this thing that is external from our relationship rather than Mm -hmm. you're the problem, you're the problem, well, you always do this and then you start facing one another in a face-off versus, hey, we're on the same team and that Mm -hmm. problem out there, that's the thing we're trying to solve. So that posture of conflict resolution sets couples up for good success in starting down the path of conflict resolution. And I would say the last thing is agreed upon ideas. So like, Mm -hmm. we agree that we're not gonna fight when people are drunk. We're not gonna fight when Mm -hmm. people are tired. We're not gonna fight when people are hangry. We're not gonna Mm -hmm. fight when I haven't had my coffee. I'm not gonna fight when, you know, like, those are not good times to have conversations. And so agree Mm -hmm. upon that. Like, wait a second, I feel that this is headed toward conflict and I haven't had a sip of this delicious black liquid. So can we (laughs) put that off for like 10 minutes? Or can we talk about it later? Or wait a second, I've had two glasses of wine and this is too much Mm -hmm. and I'm just Mm -hmm. afraid that we're not gonna say things that we can take back. And so agreeing upon those things together is a really helpful place
1: to start in relationships. I love that. I love that idea of setting boundaries and especially around, I mean, I definitely get hangry. So that is very relatable. And I'm sure a lot of people can also relate to fighting with your partner when you're maybe a little intoxicated. So Mm -hmm. good to remind yourself that that's not a productive time to have a conversation.
0: Oh, and one last thing. You don't have to solve it all in one conversation. You can pause. Yeah. You know what? I need a break. And so Mm -hmm. set a time to come back. Don't avoid it. Set a time to come back, but you can pause. Like, I just need Mm -hmm. a 10-minute, I'm going to go walk around the block, I'm going to go lie in our bed, whatever. Like, just separate and come back. It's okay that it doesn't finish in one conversation. And that can Mm -hmm. be hard for specific personality types. But Mm -hmm. giving yourself the permission is really helpful.
1: Yeah, I love that. So this has been really insightful and I wanted to thank you so much for sharing all of these insights and I hope people are motivated to look up what their type is. I just wanted to pose one final question for you before you plug where people can find you. If you're comfortable sharing, what's your type? Oh, I am a type seven. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. I love that because as you were describing the sevens, I was like, they sound so fun. They (laughs) sound like the best. So that's awesome. (laughs) I definitely get that energy. (laughs) We get that a lot.
0: I think the sevens are the only number that on the initial read we're like, yeah. And then we're like, oh. (laughs) Like it just takes I don't know. I was like, I wish I were a seven, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we have our own struggles.
1: Well, thank you so much. Where can people find you and find your services? I would love for you to plug all of your handles.
0: Absolutely. So I hang out the most on Instagram and LinkedIn at Jen underscore Whitmer. And then on LinkedIn, it's Jen Whitmer. You can find me. But my website, Jen com. So that's J-E-N-N, two N's quitmer.com slash freebies. I've got a place where you can sign up for that 120 emotions thing I was talking about. You can join Mm -hmm. my private Facebook community from there. There's the link. And Mm -hmm. then I also offer free workshops fairly frequently. And then I would love to offer people a free call. So if this sparked Mm -hmm. something in you and you're like wait I feel really stuck right here or I'm just really curious about this Enneagram thing and I wanna talk to you some more, I would love to hop on Zoom with you and just follow up with some more and let you just explore what coaching could be like for you. And it's just totally on me and we'll spend some time and you get to experience some coaching. I always love saying hi on Clubhouse and all of those places and be great.
1: Yes, highly recommend. I mean, I personally wish our discussion could last another hour. So (laughs) yes, please seek Jen out. And thank you again for such an amazing discussion. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Let's be exclusive. Subscribe to Interstates and Heartbreak wherever you listen to podcasts for more firsthand stories about the unglamorous side of dating in Los Angeles. And while you're at it, you can write me a love letter with a rating and review on Apple. See you next Sunday.